Screenless. Hello and welcome to another episode of Creative Cuppa, the show that features chats with people working in the many creative industries. Over a cuppa, of course, we're not heathens. I'm Gareth Davis. I'm a composer by day, podcaster also by day, in amongst other things by day. I don't know about you, but I try to keep office hours whenever I can. It's important to keep that work-life balance, isn't it? Sometimes it's not possible when deadlines are looming. Of course, there have been some weekends and late nights, but I always feel like I'm bringing my A-game when things are well-organised and I've had a good night's sleep. Doesn't take much, does it? Are you an office hours sort of creative, or do you disappear for days down the rabbit hole of ideas? You can get in touch via creativecupper.uk or on any of the socials on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram if you search for at ScreenlessPod. Now, Alexandra Harwood is a composer for TV and film. It's always lovely to meet fellow composers. So we had a good old natter afterwards about our processes and studios and all sorts. I've been meaning to contact Alex for ages after seeing the All Creatures Great and Small adaptation on Channel 5 and really enjoying the soundtrack. So it was a real thrill when she agreed to come on and have a natter. So, if you have your cuppa at the ready, have a listen to this. Alexandra Harwood, BAFTA Cymru Award-winning composer. Welcome to Creative Cuppa. Thank you so much. How lovely to join you. It is indeed fantastic. (laughs) We already have something in common. I've noticed from a video interview of yours that I don't do anything until after coffee in the morning either. (laughs) Very, very important. (laughs) Yes. And you have, I've already seen your lovely dog. Yes. My golden retriever, Brinkley. Lovely, lovely Brinkley. Named, by the way, for the record, after the movie You've Got Mail, because there's a golden retriever in that movie Ah, called Brinkley. Yes. And I love that dog. It it? is. And that dog, Brinkley, in that movie, who I assume is really cool, Brinkley. I've always loved that dog because when Tom Hanks's character is typing his emails to Meg Ryan, that dog always jumps up on his lap and kind of, you know, is wanting love all the way through the film. And um, sure enough, when I got my, you know, when I got Brinkley as a puppy and when he got big enough, he, he does come up onto my lap and jump up as much as he can to be part of my work. And he particularly loves it if I'm scoring animals because he thinks he really recognises animals on screen. It's absolutely bizarre. So it's kind of lovely. And certainly at the moment. And certainly at the moment. Because we're chatting just before you dive into scoring series two of All Creatures Great and Small for Channel 5 and PBS Masterpiece. Now, people over a certain age will certainly remember the classic series with Christopher Timothy, Robert Hardy, Peter Davison... Uh, with that theme by Johnny Pearson yes. etched on their brains. So it must have been quite a daunting task to bring the music up to date. So daunting. And by the way, I don't know if you know this. I know some people definitely know it. I didn't. That that theme tune was a piece of library music by Johnny Pearson and then got yeah. picked up and used. And then he did score the series, of course. But the theme tune itself, the iconic theme tune, was a piece of library yeah. music that he had written. I don't know what he wrote it for. I think I'd read that at the time. It might have even been when I was watching the remake. I was looking things up. Yeah. One of those bits of uh, pub quiz information. Exactly. I mean, I had no idea. But what I did know is that it's an iconic tune. And of course, it was daunting. But 
what kind of really quickly became clear is at the very beginning, obviously, there were all sorts of meetings between the producers and me and the director or the lead director, Brian Percival. And other than the fact that we were discussing the tone of the show and what were we after and da, 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 da. This theme tune, of course, was the big thing to crack at the beginning. I think we spent nearly two months on the theme tune before I even started working on episode one. But the debate was, I think that the producers, director and I wanted a new theme tune. And that's what we actually ended up with. Thank God. The big debate was really, should we use or actually the commissioners, I think, was should we use the original just anyway, just use it? And I'm really glad they didn't, obviously, for personal reasons. It was nice to have uh, to be able to write my own theme tune. But because when you see the series of all the, uh, the new All Creatures Great and Small, which, after all, is a remake of the books, not the old series, you know, I think we really wanted to make that clear to people. This is not a remake of the series, even though I can easily see why people think it is. But it is a set of books by you know about the vet James Herriot, who was a real vet Alf White, and that was his pseudonym. You know, I even took the original theme tune and put it on the front of our series when we were first working on it. And I realized it just didn't fit. The feeling of this new series is very cinematic. It's completely different to look at, different actors, basically different everything except for the storylines. And it just didn't, for me, it just didn't sit there at all. It's a much lighter, much more kind of of its time, the BBC 1970s going into the 80s it's that intimate bbc sound that existed then and it doesn't really sit on this series at all but other than that what we actually did in those first couple of months is we played so i came up with a few ideas for a theme tune different ones we then got to the point of hey shall we combine some of mine with some of the old and i had various versions of including <laughs> a little bit of the johnny pearson inside mine and I was cunningly trying to use very little of it so that everybody would go, oh, don't bother, and <laughs> all of that. <laughs> but in the end, after the first couple of attempts by me and the tone was maybe not quite right or whatever it was, I remember going for a walk with Brinkley and suddenly this other idea popped into my head and I sang it into my iTunes, uh, into my iPhone, got home, put it down, and that is our theme tune. And actually, for me, going for a walk is often the best place to be when I'm a bit stuck because yeah. I think they say, don't they, that when you're working, half the work is done when you're actually not thinking about it, i.e. doing something else yeah. or meditating or whatever it is. And I really have found that walking is a very good thing for me. Yeah, I, I can testify to, from a composing point of view, that's absolutely the case. Yeah. We can sit there looking at a screen. Yes. And not getting anywhere and trying to force it. And inspiration, you can't force you can't. inspiration, can you? And in a way, you have to kind of let that background work go on in the back of your mind. And somewhere along the way, it's working it out. And it's just trusting in that process. Sometimes it's very, very hard when you're full of fear or worry or yeah. panic. And, you know, it can, it can yeah. be it's such a mind game creating. I think it's, you know, battle of the mind. Yes. Demons and all of that. Uh, so, yeah, we did get there in the end. That was a huge relief. And then the animatic came for the title sequence. And that was 30 seconds long because our original theme tune was a minute just to get the idea down. So then I had to suddenly make a short version of it. That was the second challenge. Uh, but we got there in the end, you know. And, yeah, I think, it, I mean, it's so hard, isn't it? Once something's there, you can't imagine it without. But I think it belongs to this series. And I'll never know... Yeah. I'm sure there could have been another kind of theme tune. 
I don't know. I can imagine that was quite a pressure because mm. like most people, I went into it with a, a little bit of apprehension yeah. that it could match the nostalgia yes. I felt for the previous series. But I, I loved yeah. it. And I think the score, Thank you. like you say, it reflects what's on the screen. It, it's not trying to recreate anything. Yeah. Well, that was the aim, at least. And I suppose as a composer, that's what you're always trying to do, is support the story. And ref- I, I, yeah. I really like working to picture. I prefer that than writing like a suite up front. I need the picture to bounce off the characters. But, yeah, I, I think, you know, I follow Twitter quite a bit myself and I'm on there and I was watching the massive apprehension amongst many, many people and and actually quite a lot of negativity as Twitter often is about that, oh, it's never going to be as good and general complaints. <laughs> uh, but uh, what was so lovely, and this is not just about the music, I'm, I mean about the whole series itself, people were so apprehensive about it being remade. But what was so lovely is that after the first couple of episodes and people were caught, it was very, very nice of those particular people, individuals who had said, oh, this is going to be rubbish, to kind of actually admit online saying, gosh, we were wrong. We love it. And that was so nice, you know. It is a bit risky. You have things like there was a a remake of The Italian Job. Mm. Uh, It was with Mark Wahlberg, I think. Mm. And it was just a completely different story. Yeah. And it is they, now, the they forced is, in the minis at the end. Yeah, now the <laughs> thing is with that, I don't know if that's really based on the book because the difference with this, like I said, is it's based on a book, not a remake of the actual series. And when, mm. let's say, Pride and Prejudice is the example I like to use. There have been many, many versions of Pride and Prejudice. There's been TV series, there's been movies, and many of both. Nobody mm. ever says, hey, it's a remake of the old series. Everybody knows it's a remake of the book. And a new adaptation. An adaptation, yes. actually, is the word, isn't it? An adaptation. Yeah. And that's what this is. Whether, you know, of course there was this iconic series. There was. But actually, there was a movie before the series with Anthony Hopkins. There, there are uh, other versions. Yeah. It's just that that series was so well known. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Anthony Hopkins, for people. I think the series is what gave the idea to... Ha- uh, the film is what gave the idea to have a series, as far as I understand. Well, I never... Yeah. Anthony Hopkins with a Scottish accent. Well, actually, he does not put on a Scottish accent because he <laughs> is Siegfried, but still then he does not... I don't even know if he does a Yorkshire accent in that movie. <laughs> Rather like the the old series, they didn't have the accents. You know, at least yeah. in this, they embraced James having a, a an accent. Well, from Glasgow, he is originally. I don't know if, if um, Nick's accent is... Glaswegian but the fact mm. is they were at least getting nearer to the to what James Herriot's meant to be. So you have loads of other credits on your website of course. Too many probably. <laughs> Not just all creatures great and small. I was immediately drawn to the secret life of puppies of oh, course. Oh yeah to <laughs> that was a bit of a treat. Complete sucker you must have loved doing I did that. so you know my journey's been so funny as a film composer because I was classical for many many years and then I then I had my three kids and took time off. And then I went back to the NFTS, National Film and Television School, just well, I graduated in 2013 with a second master's. And that was just really to change direction. So for the last eight or so years, I've been I'd become a film and TV composer as such, in quotation. But uh it's been a funny journey. But what I realized, and is typical, I think, of being a composer is you get pigeonholed quite quickly. And probably because of the way the music sounds or the way, you know, wherever your strengths yeah. are, that's where you end up kind of channeling. But I've realized that if you look at my kind of later qu- credits, other than the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society, and that did have some animals in it, 
had a pig, <laughs> but, Pigs, but a pig. Yes. <laughs> but I did the Growing Up Wild, which is about baby animals growing up in the wild for Disney, a feature documentary feature, and that's in, on Netflix in America. I did the Secret Life of Puppy and Kittens. I've done so many things to do with animals, and it's like that's where my music is taking oh, me is baby animals yeah. and animals. That's wide open, though, isn't it? You could go anywhere with that, features and documentaries. I think one probably could in the end, yeah. But it was a joy, actually, to be honest, yeah. So you mentioned the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Society. Pie Society, Pie Society. well done. It's so <laughs> I know. Watched it last night, Oh, actually. nice. Uh, starring Lily James uh, with just an absolutely wonderful cast. Yeah, it's gorgeous. How was that experience for you? Honestly, it was just such a treat from beginning to end. Uh, Mike Newell... I, I will be forever thankful for his trust in me because I was kind of a not known at the beginning and he did kind of, in a sense, fight for me to be on it just purely because I was an unknown. God bless him. But it was really an incredible experience to work with him and the editor, Paul Tottle, and the producers who were... They, they produced um, three billboards of Ebbing, Missouri. I'm going to go right. blank on all my names at the minute. But they... Um, they like their long titles. Oh, God, I know, I know. <laughs> but the fact is they were all so, such incredible people to work with and so trusting of me. And that is always the most incredible way to work is when you're being trusted because it does give you room to really bring to the project what you think rather than feeling that you're trying to kind of tick certain boxes, especially like, let's say, following temp music. And that didn't really happen with Guernsey. So I felt very much part of the team and it was a real collaboration, actually. And that was a very, very lovely experience. And it's been the same for On All Creatures just treated with so much trust and you know they wanted me to bring what I could bring and it's just a real treat when you get that experience oh Mm. fantastic yeah I really enjoyed it last night actually and I noticed the I mean the the music fitted really well but there was use of silence in scenes which you don't get yeah that often yeah um, it really let the scenes breathe uh, for certain really poignant moments. Good. I'm so pleased you say that because I certainly am a huge fan of silence. And I think, Mafat, one of my all-time favourite movies is 12 Angry Men. And there is, oh, well, basically okay. no music in it. It's got the title and credit music. And I think there's one transition right in the middle of it. But it's because in my book, the stronger the story, music isn't needed. And obviously the stronger yeah. the performances. That's funny coming from me as I am a film composer, but the fact is I think music is needed at very certain points, obviously, and it can play this incredible role in storytelling. But I think it can be overused. And I I love using silence in those poignant moments, especially if you've had some music just before it becomes silent, because it can extra make you feel something. And we really, really studied that at the National Film and Television School. And... Being there as a student was very, very a uh, big eye opener for me because we studied closely with the sound students and the editors. And that kind of combined experience of all working closely together, I think, was an eye opener for all for what we all bring to a project. I'm so grateful for that. But sound particularly, because we work around sound, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And it all, you know, you're all working to the to the same goal. Yeah. And you're just trying to get the best out of everything, all the senses. Exactly. And you don't want to all tread on each other's toes quite literally, and especially sound and music sitting in the same frequency area, which I know sounds all technical, but it is a problem if it's all in the same place, because then it becomes like mud 
and it's just better yeah. that like an explosion or something like that. Yeah, is, you've just got to get out the way. To just get out the yeah. way. Yeah, exactly. and dialogue. You don't want to be too in the way of dialogue and all yeah. those things. It's just that yeah. sensitivity to it. Very much so. Mm-hmm. You've all. I mean. You've done it all, really, haven't you? You've scored music for ballet, yeah, uh, including Geisha for the Northern Ballet. Yeah, how different was that process to say writing for film and TV? It's yeah, different and similar all at the same time. So you know, as I said, my background was classical music. Uh, so undergrad at Royal College of Music, and then a master's at the Juilliard. And this is thirty years ago. And actually, coming writing Geisha was really like returning home for me to that my classical roots because I'd slightly turned my back on that part of my life to just go into film and TV. And in a way, in my head, I thought, oh, I don't want to ever return to classical music, partly because I love the collaboration and something to bounce off with picture. But the real fact is dance has been part of my uh, life all my life. My mother was a ballet dancer. My daughter is a dancer, was a dancer. I did loads of dance as a kid and particularly contemporary dance. Uh, so when I got this extraordinary introduction in one of those really weird random ways through a friend to Ken- Kenneth Tyndall, Kenny, uh, the choreographer director, who's just been nominated for the best choreography for Geisha. So I was so excited for him. Wow. Um, It was just the most amazing collaboration, rather like I was saying on Guernsey, that this incredible trust. But the difference writing that score is one, it's full nearly two hours of solid music doing in theory, all the work, i.e. no picture, except of course, what's going alongside is a story with dancers that's my picture but they didn't exist when I was writing the score the score came first but the story existed so the way we would work is that Kenny would ring me before I mean I knew the outline of the whole story and I had a kind of breakdown of the of the in theory script uh, written by Gwyneth and it was paragraph by paragraph and uh, he so Kenny would call me and we would he would talk me through that particular scene or let's say the very beginning the prologue and then i'd write and he knew exactly the length of each scene so he'd say okay this one needs to be two minutes long this needs to be three minutes long that was incredible i don't know how he kind of could visualize that but i would then to that kind of measure of time write a scene trying desperately in my head to picture it because i i do feel a bit lost without a mental picture you know, even even yeah. when I was a classical composer purely for writing orchestral music, I'd always try and have a poem in mind or a story or I like that bouncing off something. I suppose that with ballet, it's quite unique in that what's bouncing off what, you know, is are they choreographing to the music or are you writing music to the choreography? It's different with picture, isn't it? Because you just... It's already there. And ballet can work in all sorts of ways because I wrote a small, a short ballet for Rombert, Ballet Rombert, and that uh, was a very different experience because we went backwards and forwards between choreography and my music and I'd change and we'd go backwards and forwards. But this, the score completed as a whole, two hours worth of music without right. one bit of choreography. Kenny, I'm sure, in his head was putting it all together in his head, the choreography, and he was able to explain to me some stage actions and he he had it in his head so he was conveying to me his image by word only i then of course was putting together my own image in my head and then of course seeing his choreography when it came to life was obviously not what i'd imagined but even better that was just the joy how did it feel seeing it for the first oh time? my god just so lovely and and re- you know rehearsing with their orchestra the symphonia 
Northern Ballet, Symphonia, and just all of that coming to life was such, you know, that's the privilege as a composer is when you get live musicians. For me, that's the biggest and best bit when there are live musicians. So it was just incredible. And then really, really sadly, but also amazingly, we got to the first night in Leeds when it was about to then tour the UK and go to Sadler's Wells. And then after the first night, we got to the first COVID lockdown of last year and all the theatre shut. And that was it. It was gone. And one day we will hope for it to come back. But who knows when, you know, there's so oh. much going on right now. Yeah. It's a shame. Well, fingers crossed. Yeah. Everybody listening, cross your fingers. Thank you. Yes, please. Yes, please. <laughs> so, Alex, where can people find you online if they want to look up your work and uh, look you up? Oh, thanks. Well, my website is one place to go, which is www.alexharwood.com. H-A-R-W-O-O-D is my name. But my um, agents, uh, Aradell, there's a whole lot of like information on me on there. And then IMDB obviously has all my credits. Yeah. So very, and Twitter and da 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 You can't escape yes. me, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put the links in the show notes for you. Oh, thank you so much. But for now, Alex Harwood, it's been lovely having a cuppa with you. Yeah, thank you so much, Gareth. Thanks again to Alex for her time. It's funny that we were chatting in the last episode about getting the best out of creativity by shaping your environment and bringing in nature. And here's Alex talking about getting away from the studio and walking to let ideas develop. There's definitely something in that for whatever you're doing, isn't there? It doesn't even have to be a creative job for that to be effective. This episode of Creative Cuppa was produced by The Sound Boutique. And if you are thinking of making a podcast, head over to thesoundboutique.com forward slash podcasts to find out how they can help you make it happen. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone else. I'd be so grateful. And if you are feeling extra generous, a positive rating and review would be delightful. All the details for all of that are at creativecuppa.uk. That's all for now. So until next time, thank you for joining me for a cuppa. Mm-hmm.